Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker, and this is episode 89. We'll have some conversation about that later, but we're going to really abbreviate this open. Why? Because we have an extra distance show today. We have a 90 minute plus marathon interview with a man that i have tremendous amount of respect for and um really excited to present this to you because he dropped uh some things into this interview that um really surprised me honestly brian allegresso is our special guest on this show and i really appreciate brian taking the time to talk to me um we went in depth about his background in the sport the career that he's had, um, you know, just racing in general, super modified racing in general, some of the owners and drivers that he's worked with. Um, this was just a great interview. And of course, we talked quite a bit about the, uh, the new series up in uh, New England, too, because he's uh, well associated with that. And he really gave some detailed information about that series and the motors, et cetera, that I think is going to spark some real discussion and maybe um, correct what I think has been some conclusions that some people have jumped to about all of this um, because, frankly, we just haven't had the information to understand fully about some of the aspects of this new series and what it's about and what uh, what's going on with it. So this is going to be an interesting, uh, I think, insight for a lot of people. Um, and so again, the, the job of this show in, in, in my, uh, perspective is, uh, to let everybody get all the information out for, for the fans and the drivers and the teams and the tracks and the series. Um, and then just let people decide. Uh, and so far, Spencer Morris and Brian have been very forthcoming. I will tell you that I have reached out to Danny Sewell from ISMA. Would love to have Danny on the show to, um, talk about not only uh isma's plans and what uh direction danny sees that organization going in but also of course uh you know the the history of the sewell family at oswego because uh man i just they are just one of the nicest families uh and and jim sewell um gosh i i think he started somewhere around 69 or 70 and had a number of drivers in his car before Danny was old enough to race it. And, um, and a lot of, uh, obviously, uh, Danny has carried on the tradition as a driver. And of course, more recently he's car owner. So, um, you know, we'd love to have Danny on, but we haven't heard back from him yet. So, um, we will obviously put as much information out there as we can and, uh, let, uh, let everybody decide. And, and I'm hoping that, uh, at the end of the day, I'm hoping that everybody can play nice and, um, you know, and that it can be it, this can work out for the betterment of super modified racing in general, because that's really what we need. So with that being said, 
I am going to say a special thank you to Jeff West and IPC Indie. That's in the performancecomposites.com. Of course, uh, Sean Cathcart and the staff at Skip's Fish Frying LaGroff's Pub, two great places to go in us we go. And JNS Paving, Rich Worth, and the crew for not only uh, the spectacular work that they do at JNS Paving, but also for all of the uh, time and effort and money that uh, they have, Rich has put into super modified 350 SBS. Uh, about any kind of super modified there is. <laughs> so uh, really appreciate all of them and thank them for their support of this show and thank you, the fans, as well. Okay, we're going to take a break. We're going to uh, come back and get your favorite beverage and get nice and comfy because we're going to take a while with this. Brian L. Agresso is next on The Groove. Stay with us. Hey. Here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of the show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Welcome back to The Groove, and we have a very special guest this week on The Inside Groove, and I am so excited to be able to sit down with Brian Allegresso. Brian is, uh, in my opinion, one of the most uh, successful crew chiefs in super modified racing history or at least in modern history and uh brian is uh, of course those of you have been around the division for a while uh you know the the drivers and the car owners that he's worked with but uh, we want to talk a little bit about um what got him started in the sport and kind of walk through his history a little bit so brian welcome to the groove we are really excited to have you on the show and i guess my first question would be what got you interested in racing in the first place and how old were you when that happened um i'm not exactly sure it was before my driver's license though so it must have been 16 ish 15 ish something like that I um my father had a television store and they he um he sponsored a softball league. Oh. And we used to go down to the softball park, you know, baseball park and watch the games. And there was a friend of mine named Dick Kenyon who lived in Drake too and I uh, he'd take me, you know, take me back home when I needed a ride and he said one day he says, "You know, my next door neighbor builds cars, so why don't we go see him? And that was Frank Bartel. 
Oh, wow. And, um, and um, so basically I could walk to his place and I started going there, you know, riding my bike and started going there and he kind of mentored me for years and years and years. And, um, you know, and I started right away working for Ed West and, um, and that was like 1973. Oh, wow. And yeah, 1973 was the first year. And in 74, I pretty much ran his deal. And, um, yeah, I was just a young kid and, and loving racing and having a good time. And boy, Eddie was a talented racer. And of course, uh, you know, being associated with Frank and boy, that period of time in the sport in new England, I feel like, um, my gosh, we could spend an entire show just talking about the caliber of drivers, the Don McLarens, the Ollie Silvas, the Dick Osborns, the Eddie Wests. I mean, Bentley, um, gosh, I, I know I'm, you know, Paul Richardson, um, I'm probably, right. you know, I mean, what do you remember about uh, those days, your early days working with Eddie and, and, and um, you know, what? what were are some of the things that you retained as far as watching those guys race and maybe, you know, some of the, uh, the duels or the battles that you saw that you could share with us uh, a few memories of. Yeah. Um, Eddie, Eddie was a great one because he was, a he, he was, he was definitely the old school type race guy driver. He was tough and, and he was, um, he, he was pretty much just playing good. You know, and and yeah. um, he always had his own stuff, so he never really drove for anybody. And um, and he always had Bartel in his corner because Bartel built all his cars in the early days. Okay, and um, so he was he was successful, and 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 I mean he um, till till he passed away, you know, like a year ago. Um, he used to come up here and sit with me, you know, once or twice a week. Oh wow! Oh yeah, he he was you know, and uh, he he never forgot his friends, and and he always came up, and you know he was kind of a he'd he'd tease you a lot, so <laughs> you know you had to you could only take so much of him, but it was an all in fun. How did you start uh, on the team? I mean, what was your obviously as a young kid, you hadn't had any mechanical experience uh, working on cars. What? How did you start uh, with the team, and and how did that progress? Well, all I really knew was televisions at the time because my father was <laughs> in that business, and I kind of worked for him for him from a young age. And when I got to West's place, he had people that he had for years and years and years, and one of them was named Tom Elwell, and okay. he was retiring from doing it because he just had enough. And uh, he kind of mentored me in '73, so I could, so I could, you know, learn how to clean the filters and learn how to do, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of like engine work in those days. They just went to a Chevy dealer and bought an engine, ah, like racing okay. by crate motors today. Interesting. I didn't realize that. So, so most people got their motors from dealerships back then. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I I, I said most people. Uh, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that most people got their motors from dealerships back then. Oh yeah, yeah, LT ones, you know, just uh, out of Corvettes and stuff, and that's all they ever ran back in the early days. 
Interesting. Okay, so uh, you you got up to speed pretty quickly then, it sounds like, enough to kind of crew chief the car. Uh, what would it have been, 74? Yeah, 74, I think, was my first year that I was kind of on my own. Okay. And, uh, and maintaining the cars. And, and, and he had a lot of friends. He had... Um, he had a, um, a guy by the name of Paul Dion, Dave Dion's brother who used to help him. And he was kind of a technical whiz. And, um, and, um, a guy by the name of Dick Dokus who raced for years. He, he kind of did a lot of the like wing work. And, and back in those days, you had kind of had to build everything, you know? And, and if, if Bartel didn't do it for him, he, you know, he had to have, uh, find ways to get some of this stuff. And, and we pretty much did that, and I learned along the way. I was far from being a race car mechanic then. I was just uh, the client guy cleaning the filters and there seven days a week helping them. Interesting. Okay. And, I mean, but I, I would imagine that some of the action that you saw on the track, I mean, the 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 depth of the talent of the drivers yeah. in that era I mean, are there any races from back in that day, any finishes, any battles that stick out that you could talk about? Um, and and uh, what was, you know, what was the environment like back then in New England? Because I grew up in Oswego in the 70s. Um, but I, I really, other than, you know, reading the Gator or, or Speedway scene or whatever, I really don't. You know, I don't. I, I never went to any of the New England tracks until I was. You know, it was probably late '80s, early '90s. Right. Yeah, I think in the '70s you had. You know, you, you. It was a whole different deal. You had race cars. They had zoomies on them. They the flames were flying out the side of the car <laughs> in the early days. It was completely different. You know, and at night the motors kind of lit up because yeah. of of nobody had headers back in those days. And I, and I swear to God, they did it because of, uh, um, to make it look like that. You know, I, I don't know. I don't have any, maybe they couldn't afford headers, or maybe there was nobody that actually made them like they do today. I don't know, but, but it was a whole different deal. And there was all sorts of cool nights where, you know, there'd be a big wreck and, and you see the, the flames of the exhaust coming out through the smoke. And I think West won a, in either 73 or 75, he won a star classic. And I remember that there was a big wreck and uh, there was smoke everywhere and idling out of the smoke was Ed West in the lead. Wow. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. And Ed, those were, the, those were cool days, you know? And, and then after Ed went with Vic Miller and uh, we were building cars at Bartels by then and and uh that Lee Allard came back and um wanted to build the soup modified after his modified deal. Okay. Um that's when the first that's when Paul Richardson's car was built, the the first seven. The first the snafu. snafu. Yeah. Now where did I've always you know? wondered I've always wondered this, so I'll ask you and hopefully you'll be able to tell us. Where did the name Snafu come from where did that come from i know so, what it stands for lee, but where <laughs> lee allen had a um uh a video game at his house that he used to play and one of the the video games was snafu okay and 
and it was and and and, and so he he liked the way it was put up on the screen, you know, all different colors, all different angles. So he put that on the, on his first suit modified that he that he um, built. Ah. And, and and that car was supposed to be for Osborne. Oh, no kidding. For Dick Osborne. Yeah, originally it was supposed to be for Osborne, but I don't know what happened there if Osborne just didn't want to drive it or what. And um and and then we got Paul Richardson. And uh, he drove it for uh, to ninety six, it um eighty six eighty six. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, it would have been eighty six. Uh, um, it would have been eighty six. He won Thompson yeah. with a small block, right? And that was like one of the last small blocks running. Now that's kind of where I got to know the name Brian Alagresso. Was that in in nineteen eighty six? Because again, remember, I'm an Oswego guy. And that was the year that you came to the classic with Paul and also with Eddie with the 61 junior. And right. um, I'm, I'm, I would like to know because I remember that that year Eddie qual, he went out and time trialed the car, but then got out of it. And Doug Hevron, um, it, it, it somehow or other, uh, you know, ended up in it on Sunday, uh, for the classic. And then that's when you ended up with, uh, Doug in the car for a swig of the next year. What, 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 what went on that Friday? Did Eddie just decide that he just didn't feel like he was capable of, of, uh, running the car? Or, I mean, it seemed like he kind of just either retired or, or at least kind of wound down his career after that. Yeah, pretty much did him in. Um, Mike Mesa was um, a little bit rough around the edges with the people that he oh really um, kind of loved, you <laughs> okay. know, and um, and and poor Eddie at the end of his career was taking it pretty hard from him, and I think he just said this isn't this is enough, you know, and and uh, and Mesa the type guy he was, he just walked down the pits and found Tom Hevron and, and Doug Hevron and said, you know, I got a car. I want you to drive it. And so that's the, and he just did it on the spot. Most people go home and talk about it, but not, not him, you know? And, okay. and, and I think at that point it was better for Ed too, because he was, he was, uh, had arthritis really bad. He had, uh. he, he never liked Oswego anyways. He was never, um, into the big Thompson, okay, he liked Thompson, but but Oswego, I won't say it scared him. I'll just say that um, if you race at Oswego every week, it becomes easy. But you go there once a year, it's tough. Oh sure, I imagine, especially with the inside walls and such. I mean, it's a very different animal from the tracks in New England that you you know like Star and and the other places where you normally race. Um, and so I can totally understand that. I wondered if it wasn't. You know, I, I just had never heard the full story and, and uh, had Doug on an earlier episode, but we really didn't talk about that part of his, um, you know, his career, um, you know, but uh, you then, um, so you then went forward with, with Doug and and I think, uh, I don't know if, uh, how much uh, Paul was still running, but that, that year in 86, I feel like is where, um, 
you know, where your career started to kind of take on a bit of a different, a different spin with Mike. And, and then you had Doug for a year and then, um, you know, that guy Bentley, uh, comes on board, um, in, in 88 and my gosh, the run that you had with Bentley was just incredible. Yeah, Bentley had a um, Bentley uh, filled in for Doug on a few shows up at Star. Yeah. During the year, I don't know if that was eighty six, eighty seven, but at the end of the year, when like Oswego wasn't running, right, and he was still driving the Flying Five, he uh, he'd he'd call uh, call us up and you know and say let's go to Star. So we did, and that's where where we got our feet wet with him, and um, and yeah, he's. All the things they say about Bentley Warren's true. He's great. He's a great race car driver. He, he's um, he's not really wild in a race car. You know, he's very conservative. Yeah. He just um, he's just good at what he does. And and um, and and in '88 he um, decided that he wanted to make a change from the Flying Five. Yeah. And. Um, so we uh, took advantage of that, and we got him. And and it took a little while, though. We, you know, we, it isn't easy. You, you, I have to. When a good a good person that runs a race car team doesn't have to know everything. All they have to know is how to bring the best people in to help you. Right. Exactly. And that's probably been my biggest success. All the friends that helped me over the years. Right from Frank Bartel to today, you know, and and yeah, do I know more now today than I did 50, 20 years ago? Absolutely, but it was all in making mistakes and and learning as you go, you yeah. know. And now and I hope for the rest of my racing career here, I just help the little guy. Well, I just it, take the little guy and try to teach him some of the stuff that I learned, you know. And we need that. Yeah, we definitely need that. Let's let's go back to '87 for a minute because you had Doug in the car and you ran, um, you ran a Swiggo, and it seemed like there were you you were fast on a lot of occasions, but just I think you, I think he won a couple of races, maybe both ends of a thirty-five yep. actually one night, um, but uh, just never quite got there. Um, what was it like racing with Doug? It was, it was, it was fun. You know, how can you not have fun with him? <laughs> he was just such a character, you know, and, um, and he, and he, he definitely drove faster than the car was capable of driving, Yeah, which probably put him in trouble a lot more than he should have been. Right. Um, but, but, you know, um, uh, he's gonna he's gonna win some races for you. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Ed, you know, and and him and Bentley running side by side on that last race where they both crashed. I don't even know what year that was. It, it was eighty seven in that, the Mister Super Modified race. Yeah. It it, it, it oh Mister Super Modified in what eighty seven eighty seven yeah that was eighty seven yeah y- yep yeah and then and you know and. And um, yeah, and that car, that car, uh, the of Bentley's got wrecked pretty bad. Yeah, and that was the original. I don't think it ever got put back together. No, it didn't. That was the original Laprade Hevron car, and the right. 
And yeah, the, uh, Bali has it. Tom Bali has it. They have not. Uh, they have not put it back together. They had the. By then, they had the uh, the car that that Laprade built the year afterward, and um, and uh, in eighty what two I think it would have been, um, and and they they brought that out afterward, and and that's you know kind of finished the season in in that. But um, golly, I mean that was such a a fun year watching you guys uh, with with you know the sixty one, um, and I always loved those cars. Talk a little bit about the design of those snafu cars, because I feel like they were actually in some ways a bit ahead of their time. Um, and I hear people say that they think that, um, you know, the like the car that Bentley's gotten is in his uh, museum, uh, which I guess was yeah. that same car. Um, you know, they, they feel like uh, that car could still be competitive today, but I'm not so sure about that necessarily. But talk about the design yeah. of those cars and the look, because, boy, those cars were, were sleek and they were beautiful. Yeah, so in uh, it was either 79 or 80. Uh, Frank and I decided that we were going to build two cars, one for Ed West with torsion bars, and then Lee Ellick came along and said he wanted coil springs and, Ah, we sat okay. there and we talked about it, and you know I'm only an 18 year old kid or something, uh, talking to the master, and uh, I I just says I just says to him maybe we can just make it look like torsion and put a coil spring on it with some sort of a lever, and uh, he said to me he says let me think about that for a minute, and he he um, actually drew drew the cars out on full size cardboard as he was building them. Oh, and uh, and uh, so we drew the whole car out for the original seven, and um, then we built it. And um, and that was like, I don't think it raced in '80 because um, back then, you know, it took a long time to build a car because you couldn't even buy anything. You couldn't even buy wheels. You had to make them yourself. Oh wow, really? Yeah, yeah. It was it was pretty. It was tough back in those days, and. You needed a Frank Bartel to go racing, you know, and yeah, and then then Ed's car, which was torsion, we gave to Vic Miller, and that's where Ed started with Vic Miller. Okay, you know, and um, yeah, and I re I remember the day that that Ed West came over there with a pocket full of money to pay Frank, and he opened the door and threw it right outside the door. Oh wow. Yeah, Frank never charged him for anything. Wow. Okay. You know, and yep, I rem I remember it's goodness. Just gave uh, the car. Like wow. I said, I was young, but I was still learning and learning how to make stuff. And you know, I I did a bunch. We did a bunch of work for Nelson Powell on his Limblad cars. Okay. We we you know we we the little shop we and it was all just to help the racer. And that's what I'm trying to continue now, you know? That's amazing. Yeah, there is another that Nelson Powell's cars were just absolutely beautiful. I mean, yes. the workmanship and the, the obviously the paint. I mean, back then you didn't wrap cars. You painted them by hand. And my goodness gracious, those those cars that Nelson had in the mid-70s, uh, you know, and, and you know, just the, the Limblad cars in general were just all well done. I mean, that. That was a nice period of time because you you did have people that were building cars, but 
there were numbers of them and it didn't seem like, you know, I mean, it, it seemed like everybody was in the same ballpark and things in general weren't quite as expensive as, you know, right. um, so you could have somebody put together a car. You could go get a used one, but um, boy, New England was so strong back then and so rich with, with talent and these car owners and, and that were, you know, in, in it. And, um, you know, I remember when I remember seeing, you know, again, in the mid, um, somewhere in the eighties, I feel like were were you involved with Mazer? Cause I feel like Mazer, there was a car that Denny Wheeler drove at the classic in Oswego in the eighties, uh, mid early eighties, I think. Um, and it was numbered eight when it came to the track. I think it, I don't even know. I think they had to change the number, but it, it was numbered eight and it had Middlesex Marine on it. Um, it was kind of a, an odd looking car as a black car. Um, I don't know if you even know the car I'm talking about, but um, I, it was the, it was the first time I'd heard Mike Mazer's name or Middlesex Marine, I think hmm. was on that car. So I don't know. Um, do you know anything about that? So before I got there, before I got there, I think that Mike Mazer bought a, uh, uh, when I was first learning to build cars at Bartels, we built a car for Frank Conway. Okay. And and I know Mazer owned that car for a while, so maybe he painted it up and took it to Oswego. Yeah, that might Before have been it. I had anything to do with it. It had a different looking. But I know looking... Mazer owned that car for a while. Okay. It was a different looking roll cage kind of car. You know, it was it was just a, a and then you showed up with the the two cars in eighty six and um yeah. and, and and they they seemed slightly different, the two of them. If I is my memory goes back the the design they were very similar and yet i feel like there um when i looked at them i feel like when you i because i think the seven that paul was driving then that was the first one you built right yeah i forget the number it wasn't seven though well it was, was 47 it 47 at a swigo it was 47 yeah it was Swigo. something like that yeah, yeah. but then, then yeah, the, that, so the only difference between those two cars was the, the cage height Okay, that because I knew, like, I looked at the two of them, and I it I I just remember being able to 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 tell them apart somehow. Like I said, they looked very similar, but yet there was something. So it was the cage height. Okay, so um and and then uh so so in eighty seven, you basically had did Paul run for you at all that year? Or was it just Doug? Um. Well, uh, uh, no, uh, Paul. I think Paul just run that car that one race, and oh, okay. in that one race at Oswego, it wasn't Mazes then. He didn't own it. Oh, okay. I don't think. I I think Bartel, Frank Bartel's brother Bill owned it. Ah, okay. Because when I was building um, Mazes' car, and I built that at Frank's after he passed away. Um. We built another one at the same time, and Bill eventually sold it to Beza, but I don't think that he owned it when we raced that race at Oswego. So you actually were, you had the 47, which would have been Bill's car, and you had the 61 Junior, which would have been Mike's. Yes. It, yeah, the 61 Junior was Mike's, right. Interesting. Right. Okay. So then, you know, eventually and, um, Mike got And the 61 Junior, then eventually in 88, Bentley drove it. Yeah. And um, 
And that car um, was very successful. Yeah, it was. It, it had a pretty good run. Sure did. Um, I think it won the Classic in 89 and 90. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think right. it won the championship both those years, too. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. And um, now you guys also, of course, you know, you were running the Isma Tour as well, but I remember that you guys you guys put together a car to take to Phoenix one year at, when they were still doing the Copper Classic. And that car, I don't know if it was the same car, just maybe, you know, you had a different rear tail on it, um, you know, a Phoenix wing, so to speak. But I, I think I remember you guys went to Phoenix one year with one of your cars, didn't you? Yeah, so so we took the car that that um that Hevron crashed at Oswego and we made the Phoenix car out of it. Oh. There was a lot of things on it that weren't very nice because because we didn't like have time to buy fuel cells for it and and stuff like that to make it look better than what it was as sleeker. But we got it done and we put you know, my uncle, who who was a, a plane builder, you know, small plane builder, he yeah. he actually helped me put the a Phoenix wing together, you know. And okay. we went to Phoenix, and that was like the worst race I've ever seen in my life with Bentley. And we finished second, but, but I mean, there was like eight crashes. I don't think the race went more than 14 laps. Wow. Oh, yeah, there was like eight or ten crashes on the on, – between lap one and five, it was like the worst race I've ever seen in my life. And they were all, most of those guys out there were all professionals, IndyCar drivers. Goodness. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. And I don't know if it was just a bad day or what, but, but we, we personally didn't have any trouble. Um, we weren't, we were really tight and, and the car was stable. So it, it wasn't in any threat of crashing anyway. Right. So, you know, so, but we ended up finishing second, but I believe it only went 15 laps. It was awful. That's crazy. Yeah. You have those sometimes. And I feel like a mile yeah. track. I feel like the miles are pushing it for supers. I, I just, yeah. You know, yeah. For this type racing, it should certainly is. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep hearing you know. talk about Loudon and it's just like, no, just don't, you know? Just, just don't, don't go there. I mean, you know, keep them on the short tracks. I think a mile is about my personal yeah. opinion. I think a mile is too big, but, um, and, and then, so you, you know, you ran with Bentley for gosh, uh, a, a number of years and, and, and along the way, um, Mike had some issues, you know, the economy or whatever with his business right. and, and in comes <laughs> Paul Dunnigan. Um, great, man. great man. <laughs> Paul Dunnigan is a great man. Yeah. So I'm Talk at about Mesa's Paul. working in my little shop. I, Mesa had a little separate shop, you know, for me. And it was in like a big steel building and, you know, it was set up really nice, you know, that I could build cars, I could right. do what I wanted. And, um, in 90, um, maybe a little bit before 90, maybe late 89, uh, a white-haired guy comes walking into mazes, and but he wants it to be a midget. And I says, "Well, you came to the wrong place because we don't do midgets." And uh, <laughs> he says, "Oh, maybe I'll buy one of these." And so he went to see Mazer, and I had one that was a like an experimental car that I was building, and um, and Mazer sold it to him. Oh wow! And um, 
in in ninety, um, Mazer's Mazer was definitely having you know problems with his business. So Paul said to me that he says, you know, I think it's about time you come work for me. And Mazer had already sent all his stuff down to Paul's building because he was afraid he was going to lose it. Oh, so basically all this stuff was in Paul's building anyways. And eventually Paul bought everything. Okay. You know, bought all the cars and everything. The only one he didn't buy was the one Bentley has. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. And, um, and, um, uh, I, Paul came down there every day. We had lunch every day together. Um, I showed him how to build body panels. He, in 90, he built a beautiful body. Um, that raced in 91. Um, and, um, and he just loved racing and he, he loved being hands on, but you know, as he got older, he had heart trouble, he had all sorts of problems and he just couldn't do it. Like, you know, like we did in the past, but he kept the money flowing and we, you know, we raced till, um, 2006, won the champion, championship in 2006. And that was two, two years after he passed. Man, that uh, I mean, that was an incredible uh, period, too. And I, and I, I actually missed a, a bullet point that I had in my notes here. And I wanted I want to go back because in Bentley's book, it talks about how there was a point in time where Bentley was working in somebody's shop or whatever. And um, or I guess it might have been a, he was he somebody was working on his motor and Bentley answered the the guy's phone and um the guy on the other end said someday you're going to race for me and according to the the way the book tells the story that was you uh that you had told Bentley that at some point he would he would race for you and and he, and then of course that ended up happening do you remember that um I I I can't believe that I would say something like that but <laughs> but with that said um when Bentley first drove, the very first time he drove for me yeah. and Mike, yeah, um, we went to Star Speedway. It was like a late in the year race, and um, um, we had all sorts of problems. But you know, we worked our way through them, and uh, he ended up um, trying to take the lead with like five laps to go. And uh, him and Dave Thomas got together and. Uh, Bentley got the shot into the stick and he flattened the tire out and, you know, so he pulls into the pits and we're, we're changing the tires. And, you know, back in those days, we didn't have electric wrenches, right? you know, so we're putting a lug on at a time and like Bentley's telling the push truck to push off and there was only two lugs on the tire. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, I'm standing like in front of the car stopping him, you know? And <laughs> I mean, he would have raced with like one lug on that tire. But we got him on anyways, and he went out, and he and he finished like second or third. He came right back. Incredible. But um, but but that was the very first race Bentley drove for me. Well, and, you know, and um, and it, I was like a proud young man, you know, because Bentley Warren's driving for me. It was great, and and he was everything that everybody said about him. He's he he had a knack that if he's running twentieth, he's going to finish twentieth. If he's running fifth and he can see the front, nobody, nobody was going to beat him. 
He just knew how to step it up when he needed to, and he, he was just great, you know. And and I've I've been blessed. I've been with Russ Woods and Pat Abels and and Paul Richardson's. I mean, I haven't had. I I don't think I've ever had a driver that I can say wasn't first class. Yeah, that makes your job a whole lot easier as a crew chief. And yet, I feel like there's an aspect to that where every driver is a little different. Every driver wants the car to feel a little bit differently. So you you have to figure out kind of the sweet spot for, for every driver, right? Because I feel like that might have been some of it between Doug and Bentley, um, you know, where both of them obviously are championship caliber racers, but maybe, you know, wanted the car just a little bit different. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's all true. And, and all, and every drive is different, you know, and in, uh, in, um, this, the first car I built, the original 29 car, the first car I built at Mazes, not Mazes, at Paul's, at Paul Donegan's, uh, was a complete new design snafu car. And uh, it was it was the very first one of that design. And that car won like 90 races in its career. And it won the championship in 2006 with Pat Abel driving it. Okay. And that was Bentley's favorite car. It was Russ Wood's favorite car. But that car won features with seven different drivers in it. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. And then... It, it won the first feature. One was with Mike Ordway. Okay. And, but you got to remember back then we were racing 50 times a year. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you, you'd run a Swiggo and Isma and, you know, I assume you probably also, in your star, case, whatever was yeah. open, mm-hmm. we were there. Yep. Yep. And it's, it's really amazing. Again, it was the same car, you know, it isn't like now where you get, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it would basically, it was the same car and Um, you know, you just strap the wing on and change the shocks and springs or whatever it is that you did. And you just went racing, you know? Um, and, and those were great days. And like you said, you had some amazing drivers and, um, you know, just to watch the Dunnigan cars over the years, Mazer, Dunnigan, you know, that whole era was just absolutely incredible. And Paul was just such a character. Of course, the <laughs> the businesses that he owned uh, were interesting and in among themselves, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, he was just a very colorful guy. And I feel like, you know, that there was in the 70s, 80s, you know, into the 90s, you had those those owners, those colorful, you know, Oswego had a bunch of them. And, and of course, you know, everywhere, you up there, Star, whatever, Sandowski. Um, and now I feel like there aren't as many owners in the business anymore. It's mostly owner drivers. And, you know, I feel like the, the, the sport kind of misses that period of time when we had, you know, the, the Mazers, the Dunnigans and the Tom Hevrons and, and those people in the sport that were, I mean, Tom obviously owned cars for Doug, but, um, you know, that were just owners and not, you know, owner drivers or whatever. And, and, uh, those guys just contributed so much to the, to the atmosphere of the sport at that time. Right. Yeah. Paul was definitely good for racing. He was funny. He, yeah. he um, he supported, um, Isma when Isma needed to be supported. He put money into shows when they needed money in shows and, he, he he just did everything for racing that he could. 
And um, and on the other end, he, he always had the best race guys. He always had the best drivers because he had the best race guys. And um, we always had good help because everybody liked them. Yeah. See, and that's the thing. It's funny because you would, you know, Paul could be sort of boisterous and, and sort of, you know, I, I hate using the word flamboyant, but he was just sort of, you know, but, but he, he um, I, I remember reading Bentley's book and Bentley talking about how Paul, you know, organized the hotels and where they were going to eat. And they, like there was, you know, to, to look at Paul and to just casually know Paul, you didn't really get the full picture of just how smart and, and uh, you know, how business savvy he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, he was uh, like you said. He was he was quite the character, and and uh, I miss those years, you know. But yeah. racing goes on, and it'll it never be the same. Uh, but but what Still we're, we're trying to do now is try to bring it back a little bit instead of it dying. Okay, you know the super modified division's been dying now for three, four, five years, and um, and it would be a shame to let it go. I agree, and we'll get to that. I want to talk about the new series because I know you're involved in that. But but I want to I want to kind of finish out your chapter. So so after the the years with you know with Mike and Paul and and Bentley and all of that and the whole Dunnigan team, um, can you kind of walk us through from that the kind of the end of all that forward to to today and and what you're doing? Because I think at one time you were involved. Um, and I may, I may get this wrong because my brain is turning to mush, but I feel like at one point you were involved with, uh, Jeff Holbrook and his group in some way. Am I wrong? Yeah. So before Jeff Holbrook, I was, I was, uh, I worked for Lusaconi for a year and that was a fun time because it wasn't something that I had built, but it's nice to take somebody else's cars and tried to make them run good, sure. you know, and it was a Danny Drining car and uh, we took it here and we completely redid it and got it race ready. And he ran pretty good. I think he finished second or third in points. Matter of fact, on the last day at Thompson, he, he had a shot of either finishing second or winning the championship on that day. Okay. And, um, and we, and we had a pretty good year and that was fun. But, um, Lou was kind of, I won't say he was getting out of it, but he was on his way out of it a little bit. And uh, and then Jeff Holbrook popped into the picture, who is a really nice guy. He is. Jeff Holbrook. Yes, absolutely. Yep. And and, and I built him a car, brand new car, yep. which was a snafu car. Yep. Uh, but it was naturally big because poor Jeff was a 300-pounder, you yes. know? Yes, he was a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, he was a linebacker, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you have to build the car differently, and um, and then the year after that, I built one for Russ Wood to race with the team. Oh, okay. Yes, and the the one with Russ Wood, Howie Lane owns now. Gotcha. And a um, a young kid by Anthony Anthony yep. Nacella. Nacella, yeah, modified race, modified, modified kid. Yep. Yeah, good, super, good, nice young kid. Super talented racer, it seems like. Yep, and so, and and the Holbrook car, the one that um, Holbrook actually drove, um, actually went to Robbie Summers, and he ended up owning it, and it's actually racing out of this shop now. Oh, okay, okay. See, that's fun because you know, it, at times we, you know, you'll somebody will put a picture in one of the Facebook groups 
and everybody tries to kind of trace the lineage and, you know, whatever. And I think Jerry Curran has one of those cars, too, if I'm not mistaken. The one that he has, I think, is uh, or. So so I built an Oswego car for Jeff Holbrook, and he raced it like one year, one one race yeah. with it. And I don't even know what year that was because I kind of lose track of time here. Yeah, me too. And, and um, Jerry Curran, I think, owns it. Yeah, or, I think Jerry has that now. Or whoever, yeah. Yeah. whoever bought it for him. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think that's the one Jerry has. So, so now let's talk a little bit about um, what you're doing today. So I know that you have um your business which is what is it new england motorsport supply is that it's 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 my friend's business butch oh. valley oh he okay raced with me at spa since 73 oh gosh i didn't know butch owned it okay yeah i i but, uh... butch owns this whole complex right ah, and um okay. and he works with me every day here oh nice and uh and i don't it, it isn't like we're just friends and we just kind of work to try and keep the doors open you know, we charge people for stuff, but it's only to keep the doors open to help races. And um, and uh, he isn't making a living here, and I'm not making a living here. You know, we're just, um, um, just working on race cars and enjoying it. We're both kind of retired. Okay. Okay. You know, and, and every now and then I have a, a paying job. Every now and then he has a paying job, and we kind of work on them together and you know, as as long as we can pay the bills, we're happy. Okay, well that's awesome. Um, so tell for for those who don't know what the business does, you say you work on cars, but what can you be more specific? Maybe we can get you some customers. So so New England Motor Racing is a pot supply store. Okay, for, for mostly soup modified racing and three fifteen racing, and uh, they can get just about anything. But it's been in business probably for. 25 years. Oh, okay. Okay. And also, and, and Butch Valley does own it. And, um, and yeah, people call up and order parts and we get them to them as fast as we can. Now, Butch, if I remember right, and again, please don't, don't worry about correcting me if I'm wrong, because it won't, it won't be the first time. Um, it, but Butch, did he not build the cars that Tim T owned? Ye- yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm not totally losing my mind. I feel like Butch built a number of cars. So um so you guys both go back a ways. Now are you yeah. are you working on anybody's are you crew chiefing for anybody at this point? So I help a, a young driver called Danny Bose. Okay. His name's Danny Bose. Yeah, for sure. And his yep. father's Tony Bose. Okay. And um and they're kinda like family to me. Nice. Them and I naturally I helped Jonathan McKennedy because Jonathan McKennedy's been with me like since he's been thirteen. Okay. And I and I knew him when he was like six. <laughs> so he's you know, since his dad passed away a couple of years ago, I took it upon myself to kind of be his father, you know? Nice. And I take care of him as you know, as far as you know, I keep him kind of into racing, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, John's a great racer, as is Danny. Um, and okay, so you you've also at least had some sort of involvement 
um, with this new series that's coming out uh, starting this year yeah. that Tom Mayberry's doing. Um, talk a little bit about from your perspective, because you mentioned earlier trying to you know keep supermodified racing going. Um, from your perspective, talk about you know the new series and you know and, and what what you feel like it brings to the table. So, for the last four or five years, we've we've seen ISMA and soup modified racing. I shouldn't single single out ISMA. Um, maybe losing a car or two every year. And, you know, because people can't afford to do it anymore. People can't yeah. afford to travel anymore. And, you know, we, we went to some racetracks on this East Coast last year, and um, um, uh, the Star Classic wasn't bad. I think they had 22 cars there. That was that was one of the good ones. But the, the big Lee race, which usually is like sold-out crowds, yeah. which the – place was pretty packed with people but only 13 cars started to race right you know and and you could just see it Town, 10 cars started to race so in during the winter you know me tony bowes howie lane robbie summers all these guys who want to keep on racing said that we don't want to do anything to hurt isma but maybe it would benefit people like isma another organization if we started something up on this East Coast and started building it up um, a little bit and making it cheaper to race so people can afford to get into it. And we actually have a lot of cars to pull from because the 350 uh, small block crate motor division is booming around here. Yes, very much. So, you know, to so we didn't we didn't know what to do or who to talk to and and some Robbie Summers says you know Tom Mayberry is the type of guy you need he doesn't take any bullshit from anybody and and he's fair and um he's basically kind of the type guy that that takes a a division and starts building it back up so we asked to talk to him so we talked to him and uh he said that um, he would do something if he had enough positive feedback for doing it and that we should do something with a spec motor from Chevy to try and, you know, build that part of it up so people don't need to pay, you know, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 for an ISMA motor. Okay. Um... You know, and so... So that's where it all started, and then we had, and I've only talked to Tom Mayberry three times in my life, and two times we're in meetings, and um, and he seems to be the type of guy that is um, is going to go by whatever he says, and he's never going to waver from it, and if you like it, you like it, if you don't, you don't, but it's going to be fair for everybody. Okay, so... You know, you... and and... And he agreed to do this for us, and um, and um, he asked me to get a, a, a spec motor as fast as I can, and to to um, put it in a car, and let's get testing with it right in spring. So that's what I am working on now, and that's my only job with this whole deal is to get this. So, so to make a long story short, I bought a 572 inch Chevy motor for thirteen thousand dollars. And by the time I put it in the car, it'll probably have 
16,000 in it. Okay. And, 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 and hopefully, um, that it has enough power to run with a open style motor that we run today. Well, see, that's, that's it, one of the questions that, you know, that you, you, you see people asking with all this is, um, and I've talked to a couple of team owners and I've talked to, uh, some other folks and, you know, that are in the, in, in, in the loop. And, um, of course we had Spencer Morse on too on our last show. So he's kind of given me the, you know, the, 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 the spin from the series side. Um, you know, the, the, the horsepower and, and the performance I think is something everybody's kind of looking at going, well, how do we do this? Now, Spencer said that there will probably be some kind of a gear rule that will help mm-hmm. to equalize the, um, you know, the, the, the current big block, um, versus the 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 crate motor the spec spec motor i guess we'll say um is that kind of what you're seeing too and if so um you know again where do you think and i know it's early you haven't really gone out and tested in a car yet but i'm just kind of getting your first thoughts i guess because i think people want to know this kind of detail like where are we going with this and 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 when we when we get this spec motor where we want it are we going to be able to keep the cost under $20,000 by the time you add everything else you need to in order to put it in the car or where, because, you know, obviously if you go up North, you know, 25 and North, um, you're getting close to the price of a good, you know, big block. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, when Doug Holmes was building motors for everybody out at Oswego, which he's retired now. Right. Um, they, he was the only one that I ever engine builder that I ever seen that was building them and, and loved the racer. And he did it as cheap as he could. Sure. And for years I said to myself, they ought to build a statue of this guy in the middle of the place because he's saving racing at Oswego because you could buy motors. Well, Holbrook bought a brand new motor off of him back when we built his car, which was, you know, quite a few years ago, but it was like 25,000 and I'm sure that they're 35,000 today. Yeah. But if you build an Isma motor, it's all of 50,000, all of 50,000. And people say, Oh, I just built this motor for 30 or I just built this motor for 35,000. If you, if you build a complete motor, it's 50 minimum. And if you build a great motor, you know, like a like a like a, a reed, a lichty type motor, um, it's probably more like sixty five thousand. Wow! They, they, you, everybody just has this illusion that motors are cheap. They're not. It, you know, and like Tony Bose, he has all of sixty thousand in every one of his motors. Wow. Okay. So, you know, because, you, you know, you buy a dot block and you lighten it and you put a big cam in it and you do all the work, the block costs you 7500 bucks. Right. You know, you buy a good crank, you're, you know, a really good crank. It's like $5,000. You know, you can buy a Cali's crank for three, but the real good motors don't have Cali's cranks in them. You know, and, and, uh, and yeah, motors are kind of like, 
uh, a little pet project with me. I love them. So I, I kind of keep track of them all. Okay. But, but you can, you know, you can buy a crank in a block and already have twelve, thirteen thousand 13,000 in it. Okay. And what about the titanium valves that are $200 a piece and there's 16 of them? And the springs and the retainers and the heads and the, <laughs> you know, the connecting rods and, and everything else that goes in the motor, the oil pump, the injection. So what I is, mean, it ain't too hard to get up to $60,000 today. So what is the goal for the spec motor in terms of the price then? Where are you? What is the goal so, number? So we want to keep Chevy them below this. that spec motor, right, which comes with a carburetor and intake and an MSD ignition. Okay. For around uh, um, $16,020. That's their list price on it. Now, if you're a, if you were a Chevy, if you could get like a dealer price off a Chevy dealer, it's like a thousand dollars less than that. It's like fourteen nine. Okay. Like if you were a Motor State dealer, you could buy it a little cheaper, like a thousand bucks off. Okay. Now, with that said, you got to put an oil pan on it, right? So, so that's probably between five hundred and a thousand dollars, depending because prices change so much. And then you can put a fuel injection on it, but but if you're a racer, you probably already have one of them. And if it's a three-piece injection, which 99% of them are today, uh, it'll bolt right on. So again, because uh, I'm not very intelligent when it comes to motors and being able to... So, so tell me, if I were coming to you and saying, Brian, I'm interested in getting into super modified racing and I'm in new England and I want to run your series and I want to run the spec. Um, tell me what you believe is, is the total amount of dollars that I would have to spend to get that motor and do everything that needs to be done and put it in the race car. Are we looking at, what are we looking at? 20,000 tops or 20? So if you bought everything brand new now, so if you bought everything brand new, um, and you pay, and you paid list price for the motor. Okay. Okay. So, so let's say sixteen thousand. Uh, the oil pan, I don't know what it'll be, but if we call it a thousand dollars, that would probably be a lot. But, okay. Um. So now you got seventeen thousand. Yes, sir. Uh, a fuel injection. Um. See, it depends on how you buy that. If you just buy the manifold. Then it's probably about four thousand. If you buy the manifold, the pump, the bypasses, everything that goes with it, I just actually just bought three of them, and they were sixty five hundred. Okay. Okay, so I know that price because I just bought three of them. Okay. And I'm a dealer, so and so I could, uh, you know, you get a little bit of a discount, but, right? And um, so so now you you know if you but that would be the the maximum amount you're going to spend, you know? So you're under 20, you're between, you're a shade over 20, probably 22, brand new, everything? Yeah, and what do you get, right? So you have a um, a, a Chevrolet racing block, right? It has a, it has a 700 lift roller cam in it, just like we ran in Maze's days. We used to run 680 lift, right? Okay. It, it has... Um, it looks to, it, I, you know, you can't tell what crank it is, but it's a racing crank. It looks like a Cali's to me. Okay. It's all lightened and the journals are all lightened. 
It has uh, a set of Kelly's connecting rods in it that look like Carillo's, you know, H-beam rods. It's completely internally balanced. It's 572 inches. I have the the dyno sheet on this one because this motor wasn't in a car, but it was dynoed. Okay. And it was uh, 788 horsepower and 717 foot-pounds of torque. Okay. So, yeah, that's what it was. So a little... And it was um, run on gas with a carburetor. Okay. Um, so now you put methanol in an injection, and it should pick up 10%. So it'll it'll be around 850 Okay. Uh, and you said you paid uh, under 14000 for yours because you got it used, right? I bought... I what we So we called the uh, head engineer at Chevrolet to buy the first one, right? See, this motor is in a... What they call a Coco Camaro? K-O-K-O Camaro? Okay. It's a drag race series that races um, at all the drag strips all over the country. Oh, wow. And Chevrolet and Ford and, and Chrysler, they all have cars. And they race against each other. It's like a turnkey drag car that you buy from Chevy. Gotcha. So these motors have been around for maybe five or six years. But right now, there's none available because the foundries, they can't get blocks. Neither oh. can dot. None of these people can buy blocks right now. Wow. So I have to go to Root to buy a used one. Okay. Interesting. So I found this one. It was twelve ninety nine. So $13,000 I bought it. And it was never in a car other than it was on a dyno. These are necessarily not maybe readily available in, in big quantities right now just because of, you know, the supply yeah. shortage or whatever. But this is something you're aiming for, obviously, in the, you know, to be the future of your particular series. Um, but here, you know, the question everybody asks and, and, I, and you you've worked for many race teams, so I'm sure you can you can appreciate the question, but what do we do with the big blocks? If we're going to all go over to the spec motor, what do we do with the big blocks? Where do they go? No, see, I never intended it to be a spec motor class. I intended it to race with the big motors. Okay. Okay. So I was, I, I, and, and I told Tom, my, the way I look at it is, the the only way that you could make it a spec motor class is if you got eighty percent of them at your racetrack. Well, yeah, you you'd have to. I mean, so I think where where it's come to right is you're trying to you're going to try to find a way to balance so you can run your big block or run the spec, and they can compete uh, on equal terms. Right. Yeah. So so yeah, and and I and I think they will because. You know, it's a hundred inches bigger. It it's gonna run like anywhere from sixty eight hundred RPMs to seven thousand RPMs. And now all those other motors, the nine hundred horsepower motors, yeah, or nine hundred and twenty five and nine hundred and fifty, whatever they are, um, are gonna have to come down from seventy four, seventy five hundred to sixty eight or seven thousand RPMs. You'd be surprised how these motors will compete with them. This is no different than me racing Thompson in um in what year was it? Uh eighty six? 
was the yet when the small block one Thompson. Okay. Well, Bentley was there with a 540 inch motor that day. Okay. You know what I'm you know what I'm getting at? It's sure. just it's just it, we this motor is no different than than um Miles engines back when Bentley was running before rules. Yeah, before rules, right? <laughs> before rules. Yeah, this is no different. The only difference is now it's legal to run against a motor 100 inches smaller. So I think I I don't think there'll be a problem. And the engineer says they'll be readily available in a year because they built they built the whole facility just to build them. Oh wow. Okay. All right. So that so that would take care. So this basically is going to be um you know a a future thing and and what you're hoping I would imagine is that if somebody new comes into the division they would obviously save a bunch of money by buying the spec motor versus going out and buying a big block yeah and my job is to get it running and get it running good and get it um dependable and uh showing people that it can run with the other guys Gotcha. And, okay. And along the way, Tom has to maybe kind of um, average out the rules so that it helps it a little bit if it needs it, you know. And and so we gotta uh, we just gotta work at it, and and then hopefully the guy that's uh, racing Star Speedway with a three fifty or Oswego Speedway with a three fifty um, says, you know, maybe this is the way we should move up. So. The the three fifty motor, um, what I mean, and again, forgive me because I'm not a motor guy, and I know yeah. a lot of our audience are not motor guys. So, so can you explain to me if I've got a three fifty and I want to then go ahead and run this other division? It's still a different motor, right? I still have to go buy the current the the correct spec motor. Yeah, and okay. there's more to it than just the motor too. You have right. to buy fuel tanks. Right. Okay. You know if. If you're lucky enough that you bought a big block car and swapped it to a 350, there's a good chance you still have all that stuff. Right. Okay. So, so you then, know? so, so like if um, Clyde Booth um, sold a car to somebody, you know, they might still have the tanks. They might still have most of that stuff, and right. uh, and it makes it a little easier. And and you got to remember, we're not, we're not. Um, uh, we'd love to get six cars a year, but we'll be happy if we get one. The way things are going, it's better than losing two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's well. That, and that, well, sure. I mean, and that's it's been a to me. That's you know, obviously. I mean, I, and it's not even. I'm not disrespecting anybody when I say that it's it's obvious that you know, super modifieds have been hemorrhaging cars for a while. It's not, this is not a new thing. The number of rookies at Oswego in the last five years in the big block class could be counted on one hand. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and And, I think you have about three figures to be interested in this, uh, crate motor thing. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, look, uh, you'd almost have to be, if, if you could do it in a way that equalizes because, um, although the current teams who, who have the inventory of big block motors, because that's what you, you know, again, I mentioned it earlier. It's like, they're saying, well, what do we do with our big blocks? Like, where do we sell them? No. Who buys them? Yeah. You know, 
Um, yeah, you're, you're appealing to the new guy. I never intended it to, to get rid of them. I I tried to make it so we could let them live together. Right. That's and that, I think that's the way it should be because then if you're new coming in, you wouldn't go buy a bunch of big blocks. You would go buy spec. Um, and I think that's kind of where you're trying to go with this, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, and, yeah. you know, and and you've got a I, – I like the schedule that you guys have got. I think there's some cool tracks on the schedule that Supers either haven't raced at in a long time or have never raced at, which I love. Um, I'm not going to ask you to, to comment on, you know, the whole drama with Liam and Nad Knock unless you want to. Uh you know, because I know that's kind of not your purview of of with the series, but um, but it, it certainly looks like you know you've you've got the makings for a um of a, a fun season with the series if you can get the cars to to support you. And it sounds like you know at least initially, it sounds like you've you've got a pretty good bunch of uh, folks that are going to run with you. Yeah, it's still going to be tough though. Because yeah, you know sure. how it is. You 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 need to get twenty five cars there, fifteen at a race, because there's always something going wrong. Yeah, and, and, you know, and and uh, most teams nowadays have one engine, so they can't rely on having multiple engines. And right. And what what I hope to achieve is that we can turn the the big motor down as far as RPM. So people don't need to buy titanium valves, and they don't right. need to. You know what I'm saying? Keep the RPM down, and and you could probably run a built motor for like three years if you if you turn them down to 6,800 or 7,000 RPM. Sure. You know, and the crate motor, the engineer, the, you know, I I'm just going by what he's saying. He says that that thing will run forever at 6,800 RPM. Sure. Okay. You know, so hopefully all of us, all this is right and we can get it racing and we don't have any problems with it. And uh, we go out there and, you know, the crate motor can run in the top five, you know, with guys like McKennedy who are really, really tough to beat. Of course. You know, and and hope Tom can, uh, you know, the the one thing about Tom is he's in control of all these racetracks most of them on the East coast because he's dealt with them and did business with them. And, and, and us as races, we don't have to worry about anything. We just show up and race. Right. Yeah. You know, and if there's a problem, he's going to take care of it. It isn't, you know, all of us guys with ISMA, you know, all the board members, myself and everybody else, we're all friends, you know, and, 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 uh, it's tough. It's tough to make decisions when you like everybody, even, you know, the hard decision. Well, and that's, I've always said, I've said for a number of years, and it isn't just with Isma, um, but when you have, you know, uh, there's an old saying that a, a giraffe is a horse created by committee. And when you have a club format and, you know, and you're making decisions by committee and you don't, you know, have somebody who's, who's your defining you know, direction, it can be very tough because you're most of you, not you, of course, but most of you, many of you are car owners. So everybody kind of fights for their own little piece of the pie. And it can be tough sometimes to, you know, to make the right choices. And so, you know, 
I see where you're coming from with the idea that, right. you know, we got Tom. It's not, you know, it's not really a democracy. Tom is in charge, his deal. And yep. he's got to, you know, he's got to sink or swim, basically, you know. Yeah, and and as far as ISMA goes, I this is a positive thing for them because when they go to the Star Classic, hopefully Tom will have 14 cars there that he can send down there. Or when they go to Claremont, you know, because because Tom has a big, big race the day after Claremont. And, and you know, maybe all the Tom's cars can go and, and uh, race Claremont, which we all will, because we love Isma too. And we'll all go to Claremont and support Claremont. And maybe a few of them will go to uh, uh, Oxford Plains and run the night before the 250. That's going to be a pretty big race. Well, it is. And see... <laughs> This is where um, you look at the drama that's been going on, and I, I don't know even know if you're online, and if you're not, you're probably smart. Um, but, you know, all the all the talk that goes on and all this animosity, and, of course, you know, you just had Liam and Ed not go from one series to the other, and everybody's saying, well, now they're stealing from Isma and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and I mean, obviously, I don't know what's true and what isn't. Um, and I, uh, I, I hope to have Danny Sewell on and, and uh, I want to talk about the Sewell family history in the sport as well as I want to talk yeah, to him about all this. History. But, uh, oh, yeah, they're just some of the nicest people I've ever met. Yeah. And I, it would be my honor to have Danny on. But uh, my point being is that, you know, I would hope that the two series would work together. I think it's I would love to see a united front between both series um, where you're not seeing all this you know back and forth and racers go and race everywhere um because it's better for the fans and it's better for getting sponsors and it's better you know um but i you know i feel like there's at least a few guys um who, who are gonna just sort of go well you know we they they took two shows from us so we're not gonna support them which i you know I mean, again, right. I, I don't know what the deal is there, but, you know. So the the shows um, the, the shows that Liam and Nadnock, um, you know, just me personally, I, w- I was hoping that they stayed as my shows because I didn't want, um, not because I don't want the racing for Tom. Yeah. Uh, it's just that I just thought that that was the right thing to do. Yeah. That they should have stayed ISMA shows. But you have um, two organizations. Mananoc is one that they claim that they never made money running an ISMA show. There, They just didn't have enough people to pay the purse. So that one, I said, well, maybe that one will will want to give it up and not have a race. And then, then Lee came uh, on board, and uh, I thought for sure that they were going to have an Isma race because they packed the place. Yeah, they. I mean, there's no doubt that they make a ton of money at the Lee race. And when they decided not to do it, I was in shock myself. And I think that that was a bad move on Lee's part. But you got to remember that both tracks are owned by the same person. And oh, the both okay. tracks um, decided to go this other direction, but it really didn't have much to do with Tom other than they called him. 
it was a business decision on their part, not on Tom's. Yeah, could Tom say, I'm not racing for you? Probably, but if you're a businessman, you don't do that. No, and this is, I guess, what I, I'm glad that you you clarified that a little bit for us, Brian, because I think people forget, you know, everybody wanted to jump down, you know, the new series as if they they went in, you know, at gunpoint, stole the shows. The tracks have something to do with this. And, you know, what you wonder about is, you know, when you when you go to book a show at a racetrack, you obviously have a set of numbers. What does it cost the track? So the question right. becomes, what does it cost for a, a, a you know, a, a new a Northeast big block super show versus what does it cost for an ISBA show? And, you know, is it a better business deal? And then the question then becomes and that this is the other question that everybody wants to understand is, you know, in terms of the actual payout to the racers, what's the difference going to be between Isma's payout to the racers and and Tom's series payout to the racers? Because that obviously is a big factor as to, you know, which series you support. Because if this if it's the same basic payout to the racers, um, but it's a better deal for the track then, you know, that's one thing. But if the payout to the racers is going to be less, then, you know, that's another thing. And there, and there will be some guys who probably, you know, may not decide to, to support. So, um, you know, I think those are the things that I hope we hear from Tom on or from, you know, the new series on, um, you know, pretty quickly so that uh, there can be some clarity as to what all that looks like. Cause I think there's a lot of ambiguity right now and people are just kind of wondering what's going on. Yeah. So the, the meeting that they had here, um, he had listed four different payouts and um, there was, um, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between that and ISMA. I think ISMA is 800 to start if you're a contract. Uh, you're, it's like a thousand, um, but there's not many contract cars anymore because last year there was only six cars that went to every race. Okay, with Isma cars, and not to say that that's bad. It's just people sometimes just they can't afford to do it anymore. Well, you know, and 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 um, and Tom's payout was like seven hundred and fifty dollars to start, and in the um, the top money. One was two thousand. One was twenty five hundred. One was thirty three three thousand to thirty five hundred, and one was five thousand to win. And depending on how big the race was, I'm sure that's determined by laps. Like Lee is a seventy five sure. lap, so it'd be more of a higher paying race. Gotcha. You okay. know. So I. But to be honest with you, I don't know if those are cast in stone, and I don't know. I'm sure that that. Lee knows what it is. Right. And, you know, and and, and Tom kind of has a little bit of an advantage because, you know, you take an ISMA show, bring it on the road, you got to pay a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and Tom owning the past tour and his best friend there um, owns the actor and their partners, basically. Um, they, um, um, they have all these people on right. the payroll. Right. You know what I'm saying? They, they 
is they're going to they're using their people every single week they race and so i think that i guess they can shop in their pencil and maybe do it a little bit cheaper you know four or five thousand dollars cheaper than ismakin because of the things like that because of overhead right yeah and you I know mean, so i to answer your question i'm not sure well what the and, and I was, be, but i i know the initial stuff that they seen um howie lane looked at and said that it's decent for a, a weekly show you know a uh, um, a local show, uh, not a not a traveling series. Yeah, show, a local basically. show. Yeah, um, and I think that's and and again, I appreciate the info and 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 that that would see that would 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 shed a little bit more of of a light on things um, because again, people jump to conclusions and think well. You know, the purse must be lower because, you know, obviously Tom went in and undercut Isma or whatever the case would have been, you know, because otherwise, why would Lee and Manadnock have have uh, have have made the switch if it weren't money? What else would it have been? Why else would they have not not done that or would they have would they have done that? So, um, you know, I think people jump to the conclusion that this is more, you know, it's going to be a cheaper show and and you know there is there there probably is something to the fact that maybe it's just a better you know uh a little bit of a lesser sanction fee for example uh and again we're just speculating or at least i am i don't have yeah, any idea we, yeah right we but, don't know but um, we don't know what the what the deal is but we do know that i don't think that i don't think tom uh just knowing him a little bit i know him wanted to take any shows from uh, Isma because right. he said it two or three times. The worst thing you can do is um, is start fighting a, a war with you know your competitors. The worst thing you could do. I I just think that um, that Lee um, and Manadnock decided not to do it, and they went his route. And to be honest with you, I don't think he can say really say no to it because that's his business. Well, exactly. And. Um, and and if you look at Lee's point of view, they had thirteen cars start the race last well, year. and that's I mean, Tom Mayberry can do that. Well, and see, that's the thing. It's you. You kind of look and say, okay, well, you know, and this is not just a one-time occurrence. Isma's car counts have been bad for two, three years now. To be fair, and I want to make sure that we're, you know, to be fair, you've got four or five Canadians sitting over there that for you know that for a while couldn't get across the border. Blah blah blah, but. Right. You know, the the simple fact is that even the cars in New England were not traveling to every show. Um, you know, it borders. Yeah, and, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm down. And I did. They've been my whole life. Absolutely. You know, and and um, and uh, they they had a points fund that was great for all sorts of years, and yeah. and it was great racing. And of course, I grew up doing it, and and Danny Sewell grew up doing it, and um. But right now it's tough, and you know, with COVID and and traveling and getting people and gas prices, and I mean, it's tough. And and if I can see the East Coast, I can see us up here in the Northeast not having any races in the next couple of years. Maybe the Star Classic. Like I said, I hope the two groups could coexist. Um, I know that Danny is a is a straight up guy and will do a a great mm-hmm. job with Isma, and I hope that he can sort of, you know, maybe, 
you, you need to make a few changes if you're ISMA to your your business model to to kind of you know get things right and you know um and I hope we can keep everybody unified uh to where if I want to go run ISMA one race and then go run your series one race Tom series and then you know obviously a swigger you got different you got you know take the top one off run the tail but I mean, you know, you got three races up there that John Nicotra is doing, which I think are great, and that's big money. And if we don't have 30 cars at those shows, I feel like somebody's doing yeah, something he, wrong, right? <laughs> you know? he, he did a great job he on really that did. deal. That, yeah. that took a lot of work, yep. you know, going out there and, and, and talking to people and getting that job done for us. We go, that's great. He did a great job yeah. on that, you know? So Yeah, and, and yeah, I just... Um, I, I think Tom's getting a, a little bit of the raw end of the deal with the Lee thing because I really think it was Lee. The bottom line, it was Lee and Manadnock that made the decision. Well, that's Which what are the I same people. Thought, you know, yeah, that's what I would think. And there has to be, you know, a reason for that. It had to be a better deal. And, and of course, then, like I said, I think, you know, at some point, I think, you know, Tom needs to, uh, you know, the, I think you need to put the purse to the drivers out there. You need to. You know, you need to make those decisions and get them out there so people understand that, you know, this isn't really any different for the racer. Um, you know, th- this is comparatively the same or maybe a little better or whatever the case ends up being. But, you know, this just was a different type of deal for the racetracks. And, um, you know, and at that point, I think it's up to Isma to kind of look at what they've been doing for the last 30 years and maybe just say, well, it might be time for us to look at doing something different. And maybe we need to learn from this, you know, because um, certainly ISMA needs to do something different. I mean, it, it, you know, what they've been doing the last couple of years, few years, hasn't really been working out too well. Um, you know, and, and, and it is tough. It's tough to, to, to go travel and go do, you know, these, these shows, but um, even the New England shows, like you said, we had 13 cars. Um, and Adnock, I think, had 13 last year. Um, and so those are shows right in the home base in New England, and you can't, you know. Yeah, so. Genistown had 10. Yeah, I and, think 10 or 11. They had yeah. Brad's cars. Yeah. Brad Lichty's cars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Just, just so. think about Brad. He's raced all these years. Yeah. And he travels enormous miles to go racing. Yes. And, and it's. You know, I mean. It's it's great what he's done for Ismer and for Absolutely. over yep. the years. Yep. And he tries everything he can to bring two or three cars everywhere he goes. Absolutely. And you he, know, and Mark Salmon, another one, another great racer yep. that's traveled. You know, COVID kind of put a stop to him. Yes. But right now, but Gary Moore. But um, eventually they'll be. You know, they'll be back racing, and it'll get a little bit better for Isma. Well, yeah, and again, I I would like to think we could sort of, you know, we we've we've kind of had this this little period of time where it went from, you know, we're not, you know, gonna run against Isma, or we're not gonna, and then of course you have the two tracks that flip and everybody goes nuts, right? And and I think I think um, it would be nice if 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 the whole, you know, both groups could sort of, all right, well, you know. <laughs> let's find a way to get past this and, and, and work together because, you know, it'd be nice for those guys to be able to support both series. Um, and, and, you know, you got a couple of conflicts on the schedule, but you know, um, 
I'm not sure how many guys from New England are going to travel to Berlin, to be honest. I'm just not. I mean, here again, I guess we're going to find out how that travel theory, because everybody's saying, well, we don't want to travel. Well, let's see how many guys go over to Michigan and run. That's a, it's, you know, it's a tough, that's a tough deal. And and the money's good, but you know, um, still a tough deal, even though you get a couple of shows. So, um, you know, I'm just hoping it all works out for the betterment of the sport as a whole. That's really where I, you know, because I just, I don't want to see the, the, the supers die. I don't want to see, you know, we certainly don't need another series that's, that divides, right? We, we need that. Exactly. You know what I mean? We that's need, exactly. You said the magic you know, word. And, and I'm going to, on this end of the country, I'm going to do everything in my power to keep, you know, people going to the ISMA shows when they, yes. when they come, you know, and, and around here and, and hopefully, you know, if, if, if we have 10 cars show up at the ISMA show to help them with their eight or nine cars, yes. or 20, 10 cars, you know, now we got a 20 car field and that helps everybody. Right. Yeah. That's, you that's know, and, exactly. Um, and, you know, that's what I'm thriving for. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want anybody not to race an ISMA show, but, um, I don't think that, um, we're in control of these racetracks. They they got to decide who they want to to race, you know, well, and when right. and how much money they want to pay. It's all business. Exactly. It's not racing. It's business. Well, and that's exactly right. And that's what I've tried to tell people for years is, you know, this is a business model and you've got to have a sustainable long-term business model and you've got to be able to adjust and adapt as needed. And so, you know, like I said, I just hope, I just hope this doesn't further divide. It shouldn't be either or, you know, I hope the new England contingent will support both. And, um, you know, and, and I, uh, I know that, you know, at least a good bulk of the ISMA schedule is at a swig with those three shows that, uh, John has. And I hope, you know, all of the guys who are supporting your Tom series will go in and support those shows because they're great paying shows. Like, you know, everybody I'm, always I'm going to make a point you know, of that to yeah. make sure people go support it. I mean, that's that's what we you need. Know, and, you know, but my job really is to just get the spec motor done. Yeah. I won't call it a crate motor anymore because it's 100% racing parts. Yeah, it. yeah, that really, that's... It isn't like a 604 crate motor right. that has powdered connecting rods and, you know, this is a 100% race motor. Exactly. And I'm going to keep working on that and trying to make it as cheap as I can for people and uh, try to make it live. And I'm going to kind of like um, all along the way, um, Spence is going to put out like, because he's good at writing stuff naturally, yeah. you know, how I did it, what I did and how you can do it, you know, like the fuel system, I'll dyno it and I'll make sure the fuel system's right on the money. And then we'll put that in on, you know, on the internet to tell people what the fuel system's supposed to be like and try to help them out that way. Because if you got, if you need to come into this game and do something without knowledge, it's impossible to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I want it to be written every step of the way, how to do this. So if somebody owns a 350 and they want to do it, you know, there's there's a few problems. The block's four hundred thousandths taller, so like the conventional head is might not fit because the motor's a little higher in the car. But that's all problems that we have every day in the modified distance. 
No doubt. Well, Brian. You know, you build the whole car, you can you can fix a header. Well, yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, you know, so. So, yeah, my job's the motor. Every, the rest of the stuff, all I can do is help these young guys around this area that are just starting out, the Dave Halliwells of the world, and, um, uh, you know, and uh, and help them so they, they can race around here and enjoy themselves. And that's that's my goal. And when an ISMA show comes around here, I'll be glad to get these guys to support it, if I can. Well, yeah, that's exactly what you need, is you need, you know, we we – we need everybody to support what's there because there isn't enough there to not support everything that's there. And, you know, where we've been the last couple of years hasn't been good. So, you know, hopefully, uh, again, sometimes competition is good and it's a wake up call and, and uh, it can kind of point you in a direction that you probably needed to go maybe a year or two ago and you just, you just didn't. And so, um, hopefully that's how it turns out. And I hope it's a great season for both series. Uh, yep. and you know, certainly have enjoyed, uh, the time to, to reminisce with you a little bit. Uh, I, I can't, um, let you off the show without asking you if you have one or two good Bentley stories that you can remember, uh, that you can tell us because, uh, that's what everybody wants because we all love Bentley and we all know that uh, he's funnier than, uh, you know, whatever. So uh, there had to be, it has to be a moment or two when you think back with Bentley, something you can talk about that uh, we can get a little laugh out of. Well, the only one, that, you know, there's a million Bentley stories. A lot of them you can't talk to about on the air. But, well, you can, uh, you just got to clean um, up the language. I remember going to Volusia <laughs> County one year. And uh, I actually remember two of those moments. Uh, I remember going to Volusia County one year, and we got in the pit area, and we were there for like a three or four race series. So we were there like all week. And that was with Paul Dunnigan at the time. And Bentley came in with his uh, little rent-a-car. It was like a three-cylinder Geo or something. <laughs> you know, something that cost about nine eighty-five for a, for a week. You know, and and he parked it right in the way. Uh oh. And in my early years, I wasn't as calm and tame as I am right now. <laughs> so I'm flipping out on him, telling him, get rid of that car. It's in the way, you know. So what does he do? He gets a bunch of guys and he tips it up on the side and he <laughs> slides it between the two trailers <laughs> on the side. But then, as it's in there, right, and and it's like I couldn't even believe my eyes, and uh, the phone, his phone starts ringing. Back then, you know, we didn't have like really modern cell phones, right? You know, they were like bag phones. Yeah, the back big bag then. phone. And yep. uh, and now he's trying to get in his car between <laughs> the trailers to answer his phone, and and it was just hilarious. <laughs> and what was really even more hilarious is when he got the car out to go back to the hotel, it barely ran because all the oil was up in the cylinders because it was tipped on his oh, side for so long, <laughs> you know, and he kind of smoked up the racetrack, but, but he, he, he got, he got through it, you know? Oh boy. Yeah. Bentley, uh, Bentley and rental car companies were never best friends, were they? Oh yeah, we we went to uh, Genestown one year, 
And I never could figure out why anybody draw, uh, flew to Jennistown because it's quite a ways from the airport to Jennistown, even after you fly there. Okay. And he, he rents another one of those 10-cent cars, <laughs> and he drives. And I, I don't even know if this one's true. I'm just going by what he said. He he blew one up like 10 miles after he friggin' got it, and then and – then, um, a little while later, they delivered him another car, and he blew that one up. And then they delivered him this third car, and he said he didn't want it. He wanted his money back because he was almost near the racetrack. <laughs> so he went through like three cars on the trip oh, to Jennistown from the airport. Unbelievable. I remember I remember being at Jennerstown one year, and this was when you all were with Paul. and um, And Bentley was very last minute for practice getting to the track. And I remember Paul was basically spitting and sputtering. He was, he was not real happy. You know, where's Bentley, you know, um, only there was a little, there's a few more words in there. And, uh, yeah. And, and Bentley finally just, you know, comes walking down pit road. (laughs) Paul says, where you been? I was at the hotel watching the wrestling. That's just yeah right yeah he oh yeah yeah he used to try to explain to me how that wrestling WWF wrestling yeah. was real <laughs> oh yeah and he believed it too oh gosh he he was one of a kind man I mean you know he just um, he just you know there aren't many there aren't many characters that just kind of were bigger than life. Um, you know, yeah. more than Bentley. I mean, he, you know, he just, the kind of life he led, it's a miracle. He's still with us. I mean, you know, uh, but he sure could drive a race car. <laughs> yeah. He, um, he used to come down the shop when we wrecked every now and then, you know, he'd pop in and, and like answer the phone for me because I was busy. So he answered the phone. And one day, uh, Marvin Rifkin, who's like my favorite person in the whole world, calls me up because, um, you know, he'd just call his friends up every now and then and talk to him for a few minutes. Sure. And, um, and him having the tire company, um, M&H, he, has, he right? has plenty of time to talk, you know? Yeah. So, so anyways, Bentley's got him on the phone and says, I can't come to the phone. And he's, and Bentley and Marvin's like, this is Marvin Rifkin, you know, <laughs> I want to talk to Brian. Oh no, he's busy. He can't come to the phone. <laughs> And eventually I had to go rip the phone out of his hand, you know? Oh, boy. Secretary Bentley. He but was, he was just joking around yeah. like Bentley always does, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and and the fact that he had a helicopter, like I said, it's a wonder he's still with us. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, interesting stories about that period of his life, too. Yeah. He was crazy. Yeah, there's 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 all sorts of stories. Yeah. I swear he didn't even check the gas <laughs> when he drove his helicopter. I swear, <laughs> you know. And yeah, there's a million Bentley Warren stories, and I'm sure you know um, when they made, when they wrote that book about him, they asked you know a bunch of stories yeah. and stuff. And I mean, uh, there's so many of them you can't even remember them all. Oh, I, I imagine because there, there's a there's one that happens every time you're with him, right? I mean, something is is going on, uh, and and he's still like that. It's just he's a really amazing yeah. guy. You know? Now he um he was part of this new deal. I don't know if you know that. 
Okay, uh, part of the uh, new series. Yeah, the new series. Yep, he's um, he's very very good friends with this Tom Mayberry, and he's the one who called. He called me up and um, told me that he would be a perfect guy to do this because he's very very fair and he's very honest and he's tough. He says he's really tough to deal with, but he's honest and fair, and he'd be the perfect guy to do this deal. And um, and I thought that that was um, uh, pretty cool with him, and and um, and he he actually liked the spec motor idea. He said that it that we needed something like that, and he actually um, said stuff like well, maybe um, we should go out and invest some money and buy like ten of them so we can get a better price on them, so we can you know sell them to these people cheaper. And and that was just, you know, a few months ago. Interesting. Right before he left to go on vacation, wherever he went this time. <laughs> yeah, you never know where that you was. You know, and uh, and then he asked me to get his car running for him because he wants to he wants to get the old 61 Junior running. And I know Otto Siddeley did some work on it uh, last year or the year before, but Otto said there was a lot of stuff he couldn't do, so he wanted it to come to me. Okay. To be finished. Right. Okay. Wow. You know, and I told him to bring it down anytime, you know, and we'll get it running and get it up the star so you can drive it around and do whatever you want with it. There you go. Take some laps. That'd be fun. Uh, I think everybody would love to see that thing on the track again. That, uh, that was one of the, that I, I, I honestly think that is one of the most, uh, beautiful supers that's ever been built the the body the shape the design the you know everything about that car was just beautiful yeah we were we, you know we we had pl- good people that that worked on it and good you know the tire company was Hoosier was fighting for a tire spot you yeah. know because there wasn't tire rules back then and you know and and we took advantage of all that, and Bentley being Bentley, you know that's a big advantage. And and uh, yeah, those were good years, and and uh, we had a lot of fun. And hopefully, you know, you you take a young kid now, and you go out there, and you win a couple of races, you you have a lot of fun exactly. doing that too. Absolutely. Well, Brian, um, you have been more than generous with your time. Um, I am just honored and humbled to be able to have this time with you, sir, and to be able to, um, to listen to you talk about everything that we have. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that, uh, you, you can stay safe and healthy and, uh, that you, whatever, you know, however many years you've got left, uh, to do the things that you do, we, we're grateful to have you in the sport and uh, for your time that you've given over the years and, and continue to do that. So uh, just really appreciate you taking some time to be on the groove with us. Thank you very much. That has been Brian Allegresso, and we are going to step aside for a moment. More of the groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indy Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. 
They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Welcome back to The Groove as we wrap up. Show number 89 after that. What did you think of Brian Allegresso and uh, the things he had to say? This was definitely, I think, one of the more insightful and interesting and revealing interviews that we've had on this show in quite a while. And, you know, regardless of where you're at with regard to the new series, I think that at least you have to consider the fact that what the new series is doing is not intended to subtract from anything else that's going on. And it's, it has the opportunity, I think, to possibly create some new cars for competition down the road. If the spec motor works out, um, who knows, but again, this show is open to everybody that's involved in this. So, um, hoping that Danny Sewell will give us um, the opportunity to talk to him. But uh, either way, I wish Danny and the ISMA tour uh, all the, the, the success in the world this year. I think Danny's a, a, a good guy to lead that. Um, but I think what this is going to take here is going to be everyone we've we've got to get past this sort of Lee and Manadnock thing that happened because the tracks uh, were ultimately the ones who made this decision. Nobody went and begged the tracks. Nobody went and, you know, bargained with the tracks or whatever. The tracks decided that they wanted to make a change and they made the change. Um, you can, you know, like it or not, but that's, that seems to at least be how it happened. Um, and if that's not how it happened, then I hope somebody will come on and, and, you know, and, and tell us the truth, but either way, um, there's going to be super modifieds there. So, um, I'm excited, uh, about what, uh, could be possible. And, you know, I look forward to a point in time and I hope it's soon where, you know, everybody is on the same page with the United set of rules basically and set of options to where it's easy to go from race to race to race no matter who's putting it on because i think that's you know that's the only way this this class survives is for that to happen in my opinion um and i'll i'll just leave it there and again thanks to brian for uh for coming on and uh you know and being uh so gracious and <laughs> And uh, the Bentley Warren stories could fill an entire other show. And I think uh, at some point, maybe we'll get Brian back on and talk some more about some of that stuff. So, okay. Um, 
the number 89. This is episode 89. Um, that number for me is rare, but significant. And of course, you know, with, with all due respect to Todd Stoll, um, you know, I think in terms of kind of the the impact on supermodified history, I think you got to go back to 1982 and the Booth Champagne maroon and green car. Um, you know, that was... Ah, uh, that was a point in time. That event, that whole sort of scenario was was really significant in the supermodified world, wasn't it? I mean, if you think about it, that was almost, uh, in a way, two superpowers coming together. But it also, in a way, it broke up a superpower because Clyde Booth and Warren Conium, who did later obviously get back together, Clyde and Warren were... I mean, they won the the track championship 1980. They, I can't remember if they won an ISMA championship or not, but um, Warren was fast. And then in 81, um, he was fast as well, but um, they had some, uh, it seemed like they just had a lot of bad luck. I mean, he had some crashes and some mechanical breakdowns that that, uh, they didn't have in 1980. And so... I think we were all shocked when, um, you know, the news broke that uh, Jimmy was coming back to Oswego with Clyde. And then, you know, thankfully, that sort of started another, uh, I don't know if I want to call it a dynasty but or a superpower, but it certainly to me is a super team with Warren Conium and Doug Duncan because, I mean, Duncan was as good as it gets mechanically. It could build you know, cars as good as anybody and, and uh, certainly Warren could drive them as good as anybody. And that was kind of an all Canadian team that, that really, when I think back on it, that was one of those teams that just really had to happen. Isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, you think about Doug Duncan being from Canada, you know, you think about, you had Johnny Spencer for a number of years with Duncan and then uh, who was it? Jimmy Winks. Yeah, Jimmy. Win- well, Gary Albritton for a bit and then Jimmy Winks. And I think, yeah, I think it was Jimmy right up to what year was it? 79 or 80, 1980, I guess. Um, and I don't know, is Duncan, did he run in 81? I don't know as he did, honestly. Um, I don't think he did. Uh, trying to remember. I think that might have been that was the year that Jimmy crashed the car. I think I'm I probably messed that up, but I think it was in 81. I hate that my memory is starting to fail me here. I think that was 81 when he crashed it somewhere Delaware or Cayuga or. Oh, where was it? Delaware, Cayuga, I th- I think um, we're going to go with that. I'll go with Cayuga. And, and of course, you know, y'all can fix it if i'm wrong but uh i think it was kyuga in 81 that he had that terrible crash and destroyed that car that he ran in 80 um and then uh so i don't think duncan ever i don't think they came back so when when that whole thing happened and jimmy went to went with clyde and warren went with doug duncan 
that was, you know, it was kind of a super team breaking up and then two super teams forming. And, you know, of course, sadly, we only got one year of Jimmy and Clyde. So I feel like that car that they built um, (laughs) has... uh, Not going to say those were the nicest two colors you can put on a car, but uh, they made it work somehow. And um, the car design was just too cool for school. I mean, that was that was just uh, and it was so typical of the two of them, both engineering minded and whatever to design that. Um, So, oh, man, uh, you just wonder what would have happened had they had, you know, another year together to really perfect the car. Or would they have, you know, would would they have tried something different yet? Um, Just interesting to think about. But that was certainly a pivotal, that number 89, um, I think probably will be at least for for those of us who were around in that era is that that's that's always going to be the first car we think of. Um, And the only other 89, and I'll get to Todd in a minute. Because Todd, obviously, is the most recent. The only other 89 that I could think of, and this was a one-off, I think, and I don't even know if I'm right about it being, I might have this, actually, I think, well, I don't know. I'm questioning myself now. But I think there was, when Steve Miller uh, built, he built, uh, a new car 16. I think it might've been his first offset car. He sold the car that he had in the seventies, which he's got back now that he's restored. And I want to say that went to Lionel Earl, but I could be wrong about that too. Cause I, I get there. There's a couple of that. I get that period confused, but I think, I think Lionel is the one that had the car at the time. And Steve Miller tried to qualify it for a classic if I remember, and I think it was 89 for some strange reason. Um, it was either that or 09, and, and I'm going back and forth now in my head. But see, that's I don't research these things, so <laughs> you get imperfection, but that's me trying to make my aging brain work. Um, I think it was at 89 for that weekend, and, and Steve tried to qualify it and, and didn't quite make it in, um, I don't think. But... Um, and then, of course, most recently, Todd Stoll. Uh, and and Todd just, if you look at the arc of his career, you know, Todd started out, um, interestingly enough, I think he started out in, the, in an old Duncan car, didn't he? I think it was Bruce. Oh, Bruce Waddell. That reminds me. There's another 89. Bruce Waddell, um, I think, was 89, sold the car to Todd, who kept the number. I think that's how it went. Um, and that was either the six or the sixth. I think it was the six. I think it was the last Conium Duncan. Then it went to Williamson. I think Conium had it for a little bit. Then I think somehow he and Kenny's dad partnered up or something. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I ever exactly knew how that went, but, and I, and I can't remember if Warren explained it to me when he was on the show way back when or not. But uh, anyways, I think that's how that works. So actually, that's an interesting tie. And Todd started his career in that car um, and then, uh, you know, had some Graves cars and such. And now, uh, of course, Paul Coloca and Todd teamed up a while back. And uh, Todd's been in Pauly cars ever since. And um, boy, he just 
Todd was one of those drivers that you 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 just waited and waited, and he finally won. And um, you just you 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 waited for that real big breakout season, and um, he never quite had it. But I don't I don't. That's not a reflection in my mind on Todd's ability. It's just you know he was racing in a very competitive period of time. Um, you know, it, of, of super modified racing. And, uh, so, you know, now he's got, I mean, that car that he's got now is just absolutely beautiful. And, uh, if he runs weekly at a Swigo in 22, I think there's a really good chance you see Todd crack victory lane again. Um, Polly will get that thing running, but it's just a, uh, it's just, uh, it's just an amazing time as far as the Oswego, uh, the, you know, the regular Oswego deal, because, again, you've got a whole bunch of competition. I mean, I would argue that right now, in terms of the cars being equal, and I'm talking the, 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 ta- the not the top wing cars, the tail wing cars, um, there's many equal cars right now as there's ever been. Um, so, you know, those are the, the big the the big 89s that i remember and i again there could could have been some one-offs at different times um you know chain number changes to 89 but those are the ones that that come to mind for me um probably was one or two before my time and i'm sure somebody will catch that but uh just an interesting period to reflect upon uh with that that number because like i said i feel like it's rarely used but you know it was part of a very uh, important year uh, of super modified racing with, with the whole Jimmy Clyde thing. And, um, you know, ironically enough, now that I think about it, uh, the next 89 of Todd's soul came out of that same period or the first 89 came out of that same period. So um, interesting to, to, to put all that together. So have some fun with that. If you can uh, come up with some others um, or if I, you know, got any of my, uh, years or, or whatever wrong, um, feel free to correct me. There's no ego here. We just have fun with it. Um, so that's it. That's all I want to do for today. Cause it's been a long show. Um, I don't want to drag it on any longer, but I do want to, uh, again, just thank Skip Spiff, fish fry and, uh, JNS paving. And want to also say thank you to Jeff West and IPC Indy as well. Please, support those sponsors who support this show and super modified racing in general because we need them and we need more of them so if you know that there's a sponsor that's connected to super modified racing that you can do business with please do business with them um and uh also quickly i want to just uh i want to just say thanks to doug elkins because he's doing some uh good work with his video stuff so always uh cool to see other people uh, jumping on the, the super modified bandwagon here and putting some content out. Um, so uh, really appreciate the work that, that Doug is doing as well. So with that, I'm going to scoot out of here. Next show, it will be the Robbie and Bobby show. We got Robbie Bruce and Bobby Timmons Jr. going to be our uh, dual guests for that show. If you're still listening, thank you so much. Uh, You've you've just finished the classic, we'll we'll call it, because uh, this was definitely a 200 lap show for sure. Um, have a great safe week, everybody, 
and a couple of weeks actually and we'll be back uh it'll be super bowl sunday the next time we put out a show and i'll try to get it out early in the day so you have plenty of time to listen to it before the big game until then i'm tom baker thanks for listening to the inside groove so long you've been listening to inside groove powered by ipc indy creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.